Hey everybody, uh, this is Eric Lutke, Delegate Lutke. Uh, you probably know that if you're watching this video because you're on my Facebook page, um, but this is hopefully the, uh, the first in what will be a series of, um, uh, a series of, of Facebook Live episodes uh, on a weekly basis that I'm going to use to um, try to highlight the work of uh, my colleagues in the Maryland legislature. Um, and uh, many people, I think, have this perception that uh, we uh, aren't doing a whole lot outside of the legislative session. I think people think, you know, we have a legislative session where, you know, that's when we get our work done. We do our bills during the 90 days and that's it. Um, and that's not really how it works. There's actually a tremendous amount of work going on right now. So in a few minutes, I'm going to be joined by Delegate Vaughn Stewart, um, who is one of my colleagues uh, from Montgomery County. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about evictions and how, uh, uh, you know, concerns about a potential eviction crisis in Maryland um, and, and how the legislature is dealing with it. Um, you know, I'm also starting just to help people keep up with the work we're doing in Annapolis. I've been starting to post every week information about what meetings are actually going on in Annapolis. Uh, we're, we're, uh, putting that up on all of our social media on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, which is like a relatively new thing for me. So bear with us on that Instagram people. Um, but, uh, so, you know, last week we had, you know, four different major meetings going on. Um, you know, we had meetings on evictions, on occupational safety and health during COVID, on uh, the, there was a meeting of, of something called the Recycling and Waste Reduction Work Group because ongoing work is still going on, a meeting about uh, remote learning for kids with disabilities. This week, um, we have a, a whole nother series of meetings um, about racial and health disparities during COVID, about um, uh, what our higher ed institutions are doing. So there's a, a tremendous amount going on. Um, and uh, I just want to make sure everybody gets the chance to sort of keep up with what we're doing. Um, and uh, so in just a few minutes, we're going to be joined by uh, Vaughn Stewart, Delegate Stewart, um, who is a colleague of mine from uh, District 19 in Montgomery County. Um, and he has been, he sits on the Environment and Transportation Committee, um, and he's been doing a lot of work uh, over the years on uh, issues of, of housing and of uh, related to evictions, along with a, a number of my other colleagues like um, uh, uh, Janelle Wilkins, uh, who's also from Montgomery County, uh, Chairman Barve, Vice Chairman Stein, who serve on the Environment and Transportation Committee. Um, so Vaughn, let's see if we can pull you in here. I promised everybody on social media that there would certainly be technical difficulties and I do not doubt that we're going to have some technical difficulties. So let's see if we can get any access to Vaughn. Let me shoot him a message. <laughs> so um, this week's meetings uh, that we're conducting, so just to talk a little bit more about what the legislature actually does outside of session, um, you know, we, we have these meetings, they're, they're usually termed to be briefings. Um, and those briefings, uh, hold on, texting Dawn, or uh, Vaughn. 
those briefings, are, while they're called briefings, are really an opportunity for us to ask questions for the public, to put pressure on uh, executive agencies, in particular to implement policies that, that we'd like them to be implementing. Um, and we've been using them that way throughout the, the COVID pandemic. In fact, a lot more than we have in the past. Um, you know, it used to be in the old days in Annapolis, uh, you just, you didn't meet, you know, you, you would leave in April, you'd come back in January and in between there wasn't a whole lot going on. Um, when I first came into the legislature, that's, that's very much how it was. Um, and it's very much not like that anymore. And it's very, uh, much not like that this year in particular. Um, uh, the, um, COVID pandemic has revealed all sorts of issues that need to be dealt with. And even though we're not in session, we've had to come together and, and provide opportunities for, for, uh, uh, for conversations between legislators and executive agencies that sometimes aren't doing a great job uh, meeting people's needs um, or have been having trouble meeting people's needs. And a great example of that, I think, is the uh, unemployment insurance system, right? Maryland had unprecedented challenges with unemployment insurance because we had you know, so many people out of work all at once during the COVID shutdowns. Um, and we're going to continue, frankly, seeing high levels of unemployment throughout the uh, throughout the, the next couple of years, I think, um, as the economy continues to recover, it'll get better uh, over time. Um, and, uh, you know, so that system needs to be robust. Um, but unfortunately, the system was not Oh, so Vaughn is on here, but I'm unable to pull him on. Vaughn, I think there's a way to request that I pull you in. Do you see that? So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself in case there's people watching that haven't met you before. Uh, where are you from? Yeah. What do you do? How'd you get in the legislature? Yeah, um, well, I'm originally from the state of Alabama. I'm actually a fifth generation Alabamian. Um, I ended up going to college and law school in the Northeast and then settled here in Montgomery County to work at one of these big law firms in D.C. So I'm an attorney by trade. Um, I actually was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin lymphoma in 2017, which was kind of a big existential wake up call for me. They're like kind of like, what am I doing with my life? I was paying off my student loan debt, but I felt like I wasn't really contributing to, to society. And when you get that kind of like big medical diagnosis staring you in the face. It's kind of a proverbial kick in the rear end to, you know, make life worthwhile and do everything you can to make the place better than you found it while, uh, you know, we still have precious time. So that led me to this crazy decision of running for the state legislature of all things. And uh, I somehow lucked into getting elected. So since 2019, I've served District 19. In Annapolis, District 19 is uh, includes where I live here in Durwood. Um, it also includes Aspen Hill, Leisure World, Kent Mill, and all the way down into Four Corners north of downtown Silver Spring. So it's a sprawling district in kind of the middle part of Montgomery County. And like as you mentioned earlier, I serve on the Environment and Transportation Committee, which is a committee that also includes housing. So um, all three of those things have been passions of mine since I was elected and since, you know, well, well before that. And so um, here we are. So, I mean, this is the most important question I'm going to ask you today. Um, do you, you're from Alabama originally. Do you roll tide or, or, or go Terps? Wow. Well, one, one can only roll tide. I mean, once one has roll tided, roll tided from an early age, there's no going back. You know, you can only bleed crimson once you start. 
Um, nice. But I am, you know, I'm slowly warming to the Terps, you know, because they hired Alabama's former coordinator. And now they have a former Alabama quarterback and brother of Tua Tagovailoa, who is like, you know, quarterback. The only reason you're, only re you're getting into the Terps is because we're stealing people from Alabama? <laughs> Well, I'm saying they're making it a lot easier on me to uh, pol to be politically exploitative, right? I mean, obviously, for political reasons, I want to support the local teams. Terps are really making it easier on me by just, like, bringing up Alabama coaching staff and team. They're becoming, like, you know, University of Alabama North, and I think they're doing it for me, and I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, so – um, last week, you all had a, a hearing, a briefing in your committee with Judge Morrissey, um, who's uh, the chief of the district court judges, I guess, in Maryland, um, and talked a little yeah. bit about evictions. But I guess, you know, for a lot of folks, a lot of my constituents, as people have been, you know, starting to deal with all of the, the economic fallout from COVID, um, I've had folks come to me for rental assistance or come to me with questions about the eviction process. And a lot of people don't even know how evictions work. So can you like give us like the quick 30, 60 second version? Like how does an eviction actually work? What's that process look like? Yeah. So basically if a landlord wants to expel uh, a tenant for a legal reason from the rental premises, that's what essentially what an eviction is. Usually it's for non-payment. Sometimes it's for breach of lease. There's slightly different processes for each, but basically what it looks like is first you file an eviction, you basically file a complaint for court. And in some states, you have to give the uh, tenants notice before you do that. In Maryland, you actually don't. There's zero days notice. You can just file an eviction uh, complaint in court. And um, legally, there, there should be about five days that pass between um, when the filing happens and when the proceeding happens. But in practice, it's more like three weeks or four weeks later. You essentially have a court hearing, and the landlord goes. And it's, it's basically civil court, and that means the landlord is not represented. And usually because they can't afford an attorney, 99% of cases, tenants do not have an attorney. And in something like 95% of cases, landlords do have an attorney. So you find yourself in court, and then the landlord essentially makes the case for why the eviction is legal and it's valid. The tenant tries to make the case about why it's not valid, either because the facts are wrong or they have an affirmative defense, which basically means it's kind of like self-defense in criminal law, where it's like, yeah, the facts are true, but there's this other reason, this other excuse I have as to why you can't evict me. And then the judge makes a determination based on that back and forth. And if um, the judge finds in favor of the, of the landlord and the landlord's attorney, then essentially the there, that's a, a, called a judgment. And then the landlord can, within 60 days of a judgment, can file for a warrant of eviction. And that's when law enforcement gets involved. Only law enforcement officials can actually execute the warrant for eviction. Landlords can't legally evict you. They need basically a police officer there. And so within 60 days of the judgment, there needs to be a warrant. And that usually happens, with, and right? what happens? Like there, there are illegal evictions where, you know, a, a, a landowner or a, 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 oh, yeah. an owner might just kick them out. Oh, yeah, that happens all the time. And I mean, sometimes, you know, you've had these crazy cases of violence breaking out. And that's usually why, because landlords try to basically kind of, you know, handle it on their own, especially like mom and pop landlords that don't necessarily know the rules or don't necessarily play by them. They'll say, hey, we just went to court three days ago. They said I won. So get out. Um, see ya. 
uh, and they don't wait for the law enforcement officer, which is, you know, problematic. Not that, you know, not that you necessarily want to involve law enforcement either. I mean, that's the other crazy thing in these times we're living in about the eviction process is that it necessarily involves law enforcement. And you can make a good argument that maybe it shouldn't. Maybe it'd be fine to have a social worker come out or maybe have some other, you know, professional to help to come out and give kind of re you know, consultation to the evictee along with, you know, helping them leave the premises. So, you know, so, so basically within 30 days of a judgment, there's a warrant and within 30 days of a warrant, there's an eviction. And during that time, that's usually where you see sort of last ditch efforts being made, you know, landlord, uh, you know, tenants do have four days after a judgment to appeal. Sometimes there's an appeal, it's rare. Uh, rental assistance can kind of come in, emergency rapid rehousing can come in at the end of that. But, you know, usually if you want a good outcome, you really want to intervene as early in that process as possible, whether that's getting money in the hand of a tenant early before the eviction is filed or giving them legal counsel before the hearing so that they can actually make their best case. Because this stuff is complicated. Like you say, you know, normal people don't know this, you know, uh, oh, yeah. if, tenant, you know if tenants are facing eviction for the first time because they, they were, you know, in the middle of an economic recession, this stuff is complicated. Like I went to law school. And it really wasn't until I got into the legislature that I really started to feel like I, I had a handle on this. But did you go to a, a good law school or, or a bad law school? Well, I mean, I went to a, I only go to good schools, So I went to a good law school. Okay. But uh, but, no, but but I went to a very I actually went to a very ivory. I went to a very ivory tower law school, actually. So they don't actually teach you a lot of nuts and bolts at like the good law schools. You know, so that's the problem. They teach you like lots of like fancy theory. But they don't teach you like, hey, what, there's like a huge economic crisis and a bunch of people are going to be homeless. Like, what do you do? How do I help them? Right. I, yeah. I, mean, I get what you're saying, though. Like, there's a there's a, a deeper problem. I mean, this is something that worries me. I'm not a lawyer. I'm a layman. Right. And I, I, I've learned a lot of law by coming into the legislature and, and writing law. But, you know, for me, I approach a lot of this stuff like a regular person. And I got to tell you, if, if I were being evicted, I would have no idea where to start you know, in, in terms of being able to protect myself. And I see it, you know, I've done a lot of work on special ed law. You see a similar situation where when a school system's not providing a kid the, the rights, their legally, their civil rights under federal law, the, the, the parent is at an automatic disadvantage because they don't, they don't have legal training. It's hard to afford an attorney. They don't, they don't know all of the, the tricks to the process. I'm sure we have the same problem in evictions. Yeah, I mean, tenants basically never win. I mean, that's kind of the dirty secret. They're basically never represented and they never win. And of course, like the landlords would say, well, you know, in the vast majority of cases, they shouldn't win, right? Like we have the right argument. They didn't, it's a black and white case. They, they didn't pay rent. We evicted them for non-payment of rent. So yeah, we won. I mean, that's what the landlords would say. And, and there, you know, there's some truth to that. But I think in today's climate, where you have two different, and I know we're going to get to this, you have two different affirmative defenses floating out there, one from the state level and one from the federal level. It's actually never been more complex for tenants to face these face these proceedings because now they actually in some ways have more tools at their disposal to block eviction. Yet at the same time, it adds another layer of complexity that makes the whole thing even more mind numbing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so let's I mean, let's talk about what's going on right now. So, you know, COVID, the pandemic hits in the spring. Um, yeah. the, the governor shuts down, you know, a lot of businesses, a lot of folks end up out of work, you know, the hospitality industry in the tourism industry. I mean, a lot of, I mean, unprecedented numbers of Marylanders were, were applying for unemployment. 
Um, and some of them were able to access unemployment. Some of them, it took a little while and we had to put a lot of pressure on the administration for them to get the, yeah. get that, that program working the way it should be. Um, but you know, there's a lot of folks that don't, that still aren't eligible for unemployment, right? A lot of folks that even with unemployment, were having trouble making ends meet. And there's this worry about this huge wave of evictions, but evictions are temporarily sort of put off, right? There's this sort of temporary situation where the courts aren't processing evictions, but that ended, right? What's happening now? Yeah, well, that was a good summary of basically what has happened in the spring and the early part of the summer. I mean, I think you're absolutely right to point out that Maryland has been terrible at administering unemployment benefits. This seems like it's like a bedrock basic thing the government should be able to do. But Maryland over the summer ranked dead last in the country at promptly giving people their unemployment benefits, dead last. So that exacerbated the problem here for sure. And then on top of that, you know, some people are still employed, but maybe their hours were cut. You know, some people were still employed, but maybe their spouse's hours were cut, or maybe they had to take time off because they had to care for a loved one. So people had a loss of income for all sorts of different reasons. But you're exactly right that the courts were shut down. So they basically said, we're not, you can file eviction proceedings, you can file failure to pay rent evictions, but we're not hearing them. We're not going to go in. So there won't basically, be, you know, you can't really have an eviction proceeding without the courts being open. We're going to borrow the courthouse door. But you're right. Basically, at the end of August, that changed. That changed, and for the first time since the pandemic, the courts in Maryland started to hearing start to hear failure to pay rent eviction proceedings for the first time um, in months. And so that's caused a lot of consternation among renter advocates. I mean, it's really created panic. And they until recently, really, renters in Maryland had one tool at their disposal, which is that Governor Hogan issued what he called an eviction moratorium, but which really is better to say is a kind of uh, loophole-laden affirmative defense that renters can use. And affirmative defense is basically a fancy way of saying what I said earlier, which is an excuse. It's a legal excuse that a, that a defendant can use in either a civil or a criminal proceeding that says, yeah, you may be right about the facts. I didn't actually pay. You're right. But here's my affirmative defense. And in this case, Governor Hogan created an affirmative defense that basically said, if your loss of income or if your lack of payment of rent was related to COVID, then you couldn't be evicted. There are some other loopholes and it, make, it, it, was, it got complicated. And it's especially complicated because tenants usually don't have an attorney when they're trying to argue the affirmative defense. So, you know, th that makes it even worse, but, but that but was so, at least available so to them. This, so it's complicated even more than, cause you've got this federal, because we've been hearing about this thing, like right. Donald Trump's out there saying he solved the eviction problem. So what's so that's that the second thing. Yeah, okay. so that's the second thing. So then, and basically like three days after Maryland started hearing failure to pay rent evictions again. And basically at that time, we were basically just going to have like the courts reopening and everyone trying to figure out how Hogan's order was really going to work in the real world. But then, yes, the CDC, the Trump administration, I was baffled that this happened. I mean, this was like next level surprise um, in terms of, you know, it, as federal regulation goes, like there's no kind of like out of left field, like the Trump administration doing anything on this issue. But to their credit, they issued a sloppily written and very confusing, but still for now legally valid order from the CDC that basically halted evictions in a broader way than the governor did. So yes, believe it or not, those people tuning in, the, the Trump, Donald Trump somehow got to like the more the moral center faster on this issue than Governor Hogan did. Um, his, his order is better. Um, it's broader. So 
however, the Maryland courts made the decision. This is part of why we had the hearing. The Maryland courts made the decision to interpret the CDC order also as an affirmative defense. And this is a big deal. And I don't think it necessarily needed to happen. This was part of the line of questioning that I was asking Judge Morrissey, because other states, it seems like they're basically just going to say if a tenant has a CDC declaration form where they basically have a form and they say, here are the uh, here are the eligibility for the CDC order. It's stuff like you have to be below a certain income or you have to have received a stimulus check or you didn't have to file an IRS tax your taxes last year. If either of those three things apply and you've had a substantial loss of income for any reason, it doesn't have to be COVID related. Basically, like as long as it's like medical related or job related or basically any other thing that you'd have a loss of income for, you fall under the CDC order, but you only fall under the Hogan order if it's COVID related. So that's a big, big difference. Now, Hogan's order doesn't have any income requirements. So in that way, it's more expansive. But you can see how this gets really complicated really quickly. Yep. And what I was hoping is that the courts would, would basically simplify it in Maryland by saying, okay, if you fill out this form and say that you qualify under the CDC order, you're good to go. Just show it to your landlord and you're good. That's what I was hoping when it was first announced. Unfortunately, Maryland made the decision. They sort of put their heads together and they said this would be best administered also as an administrative defense. So now, I mean, sorry, affirmative defense, which means now it used to just throw this added complication. So now a tenant is going to go to court. The courts are open. And now it may be virtual, it may be socially distanced, hopefully everyone's wearing a mask, but they're going to go, they're probably not going to be represented, and then the landlord's still going to have an attorney, and there are going to be these two affirmative defenses floating out there. Hopefully the tenant knows about these two affirmative defenses, but maybe they, maybe he or she does not know about the affirmative defenses. Um, and maybe they qualify for one or both of them, but basically they're going to argue it out. So it'll be an adversary hearing about whether or not the tenant falls under one or both of those. And if the judge determines that they do, then the eviction will be basically, the judgment will be reserved until the expiration. So Hogan's order goes through the emergency, the emergency order that he came out with, the state of emergency. Whereas Trump's CDC order is only through the end of this year. And that's where things get really bad. Because at the end of the day, what both of these things do is kick the can down the road. So they, they limit the amount, they limit the pain in the short run. They do do that, even though there are lots of loopholes and whatnot, and people will still be evicted. They do limit the pain extraordinarily, importantly, in the short term. But once January hits, a lot of folks are going to owe a lot of back rent, and a lot of landlords are going to be ready to evict, and there's not going to be very much stopping them. So what can we do about that? So this is where the General Assembly comes in. I mean, so, so Speaker Jones sent a letter to Governor Hogan recently, really highlighting, I think, the, most, the two most important things that we can do. Um, both the, the, the governor can do immediately if he wanted to. I mean, with a couple of pen strokes, Governor Hogan could basically solve this problem. One thing that came up in the hearing recently is that the Hogan administration is still sitting on more than $100 million in federal money that they have not spent on anything and that they could spend, it's eligible to spend on this renter issue. But for whatever reason, they're choosing not to do so. It seems like they don't think the situation is as dire as a lot of the advocates do. So they've committed from the state only $30 million so far. When the numbers, if we wanted to pay every vulnerable renter's rent just for one month, just for one, like not three, not half the year, but just one month, it would be $250 million. And we've only committed 30. 
So that so shows you totally that like, just totally inadequate. It's not, it's like not even a drop in the bucket. It's like a drop in like a pool. Um, and so that's clearly not going to get the job done. We're going to need to massively expand the amount of money that we're spending on rental assistance because we need cash in the hands of renters. And that's what landlords want too. I mean, this is like one of those rare issues where the renters and the landlords are sort of like in arm, arm in arm singing kumbaya because the landlords are worried about getting foreclosed on. They're not going to be able to pay their mortgages eventually if their renters are not paying rent. And so the easiest way to, to get this done is just to inject a bunch of cash the federal government is obviously better at doing that than the state government because we still have to have a balanced budget and they've given us money. Obviously we want more. I hope that president Biden is elected, you know, vice president Biden is elected, becomes president Biden and throws way more money at the States. Cause obviously you being on ways and means understand that like the, the budget problems we're going to have are immense unless we get more federal dollars, but we have a hundred million dollars in federal money right now that we could spend on renters and governor Hogan is not doing it. And I don't really understand why he's not doing it. But he could. So that's that's number one. We need to get money in the hands of landlords and in the hands and of renters. This is I mean, this is one of the points. I mean, there are folks out there who have been arguing that we should come back in for a special session. And there's I mean, there's arguments on both sides of that. But I think one of the misconceptions is people think that we can come back in and like Congress just kind of pass a bill and dedicate the money. It's not just that Governor Hogan can do it. It's that right now he's the only one that can do it because the state constitution won't let us do it. So it really right. is him. Like he's it, the buck stops there. Right. No, exactly. I mean, this is this is fully within his purview. And so Speaker Jones basically said in her letter a couple weeks ago, said like, hey, you got a lot of money. We had this huge need. Spend the money. And that's right. something in the, in the hearing that we tried to impress upon the administration, too. And their response was basically that they just don't see this as an enormous problem. I think I think to give them, I guess, some credit, I think they are a little bit duped by the current numbers. So normally there's like 55,000 evictions on an average month in Maryland statewide. And right now we're seeing about, we, we saw about 15,000 instead of 55,000 in August. And so I think the administration is taking kind of the limited data we have and saying, oh, well, like the problem isn't that bad yet. Like we'll sort of take it as it comes. We'll see what happens. Yeah. But, but people couldn't but, file for eviction. The courts were closed, Exactly, right? ex exactly. So it's a little bit like, you know, watching your kids play with like a rubber band and it's like completely extended. And you're saying, oh, well, it hasn't popped yet. Um, and like that, we know it's coming. Everyone knows it's coming. It's only a matter of time before we're hit with a wave of eviction. We have tons of people that are basically homeless during a, a public health crisis. I mean, we're not only talking about a, a humanitarian calamity on an enormous scale. We're talking about a legitimate public health threat because we need people, you know, Governor Hogan has been saying during this whole pandemic that you're safer at home and rightly so, but you have to have a home in order to be safer at home. Uh, and the second part of this is just very simple, which is was something that we've touched on, which is just legal assistance. I mean, people like attorneys need to be provided to um, to tenants, period. If you're a vulnerable tenant facing eviction, eviction has enormous consequences. I mean, it can mean you lose your right to vote because you can't get your mail-in ballot request or you can't get your ballot because now all of a sudden you've been evicted. So now you can't vote. It means that maybe your kid has to go to a different school, which is disruptive for not only students, but also for teachers and parents. Um, it, it could mean that, you know, you've, you've now lost the ability to be close to your family members who are like your caregivers or you were their caregivers. I mean, eviction is, as, as advocates say, eviction is violence. I mean, it is based, it is an enormous social cost, um, to, and, you know, to a, a broad array of people, not just those being evicted. And so 
it should be treated, in my view, as, you know, we in criminal law treat someone who's about to be convicted of a crime um, and may have to either face a criminal fine or, you know, face some jail time because eviction, I think, is that painful. And but I think Speaker Jones, you know, deserves with criminal law is in criminal law. You're entitled to an attorney, but that's not that's true. A, yeah, case, right? exactly. So basically what we've determined as a society, this is the you know, this is the Gideon right, basically, that. The, the consequences of a criminal conviction are so enormous. Everyone, for the in the interest of fairness and justice, everyone should get an attorney in a criminal proceeding. But we have not made that determination in civil cases, and eviction cases are civil cases. And so, even though evictions have enormous consequences, you're on your own, and that and you know that that's just not fair. I mean, you know, I think it's basically the way I said it the other day was it's basically like David versus Goliath, but then you take the rock away from David. It's just an absolutely not a fair fight whatsoever. Uh, and so I think, you know, Speaker Jones deserves a lot, deserves a lot of credit because for the first time, at least in my knowledge, since I've been following Maryland, Maryland politics, she is the first presiding officer to come out and, and of, you know, of the General Assembly any, or any really major leader that I'm aware of to come out and say, we should provide all tenants with attorneys. And she said that in the letter uh, to Governor Hogan, and she's got it exactly right. I mean, I think that if we did that, then we would at least make sure there would still be evictions, but at least we would make sure that every person who has a legal right to stay in their home, which given these affirmative defenses, a lot of people do, can do so. Because I think, you know, it's eviction is already a terrible, terrible thing. I mean, every eviction is a policy failure is like the way the, the cliche goes. But I think it's an even bigger failure to have an eviction when the person could have legally stayed, but they didn't know they could stay because they didn't have an attorney. Right. And it, I mean, it reveals, I think, a deeper failure just in our society, in our government, right? Like we, we tell people you have you have rights under the law, but then we don't give them the resources they need to exercise those rights under the law. And, and it ends up being not even an uneven playing field, but, you know, a, a half of it's a playing field and half of it's a cliff, right? People have no yeah. recourse, you know? Yeah. And there's a budget. There's a budget outcome here, too, because it goes back to what I said. When you evict someone, there are all sorts of far reaching consequences, including the taxpayers oftentimes have to pick up the bill to re rehouse people or they have medical needs that all of a sudden becomes an issue that government has to step in for. So there was a recent study that said in Baltimore City, if you spent uh, for every dollar you spent providing renters with an attorney, you would save six dollars in city and state expenditures. So this is at a time when we have a fiscal shortfall ahead of us. This is not only an issue that I think is of extreme moral importance, but it actually has far-reaching budgetary uh, ramifications. Because if we think more creatively about the budget and we think about, you know, the budgets are not just like, oh, I'm not going to spend here, I'm going to spend here. But budgets are oftentimes investment and, and budgets often involve um, cost avoidance. And this is an example where if we spend a little bit here, we can avoid um, a lot of costs on the back end. Um, that, that stem from eviction. So to me, it's a no-brainer, and, and it's also not very expensive. I mean, you could provide everyone in, in Baltimore City with an attorney for just a few million dollars. Um, it's not it's not like, you know, I mean, that sounds like a lot, obviously, for a household perspective, but in terms of, like, the entire Maryland state budget or compared to the $100 million that Governor Hogan is sitting on, um, he could do this. And this is not a crazy idea. New York State has already guaranteed everyone an attorney, the entire state, um, during the pandemic. First, New York City did it, and now the AG... Um, of New York said, we're going to make sure that folks in upstate New York have the same rights that folks in New York City um, do. So this is not like some sort of like wacko idea. This is something that like most other countries have, and that now increasingly other places in the country are realizing that you can't really have 
a fair system of justice or a fair house, even like a fair housing market. If, um, if you've got one side, one side that's always going to be represented and one side that never is. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's, you know, the, it, one of the outcomes of the COVID pandemic, I think, is that it's revealing a lot of the weaknesses in, in our social, social safety net and how we treat people. And a lot of the inequities in society are, are kind of more exposed than they ever have been before. But, well, look, I, we've been, we've been gone for longer than we had expected. And, and we've had some people, uh, uh, join us throughout. Um, we're going to post the video after the fact so people can watch later on. Um, Vaughn, thank you so much for for agreeing to do this and be the be the the, the lab rat, so to speak, and and yeah. uh, help us feel out the technology. And thanks uh, for your advocacy for renters and and for uh, folks that are you know under the threat of of losing their homes. Uh, I really appreciate that. Yeah, well, no problem. And thank you for doing this. Yeah, we had some hiccups. I think that maybe it'll be smoother going forward. But thanks for doing this. I think this, this is like now, especially when folks in their home, I think that you're making government more accessible, state government more accessible to people um, that, you know, sometimes it can be really confusing. And I think to put this stuff out there, these important issues out there right on people's uh, Facebook feed is a big public service. So thank you for doing that. Yeah. Absolutely. Hopefully, uh, hopefully people appreciate or uh, get a chance to, to view it after they skip the 10 minutes of us screwing around. trying to figure out <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the, it was like a three minute like Vaughn headphone trip. And right. then, you know, right. like, yeah, I was off screen for a while. It was bad, but that's OK. That's OK. It's, it's the first I think time. it built the suspense. I think it built the suspense. <laughs> I tell my kids, you know, you, 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 what do you do when you fall down? You get right back up. You try it again. <laughs> well, thanks, man. Yeah. Right, great to see you. Uh, have a great night and uh, keep up the good work. Appreciate it. Take care.